Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To find out who was the best Chris? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Double Feature where we have uh, double the musicals, double the agony. Brad, <laughs> how's it going? Going good. I gotta say, man, um, I, I'm... I'm not a fan of musicals. You know I, what? For most musicals, I can say the same, but uh, th- these are two of the exceptions for me. You know, uh, it, it, with certain musicals, you know, they, they do grip me like Hamilton. Hamilton tries something new. Another musical by that the same guy, Lin-Manuel, called In the Heights. I like that one. Um, but some musicals, man, I don't I don't know what it is. I can't get with them. Um what are we we're starting off with a little shop of horrors today, ain't we? Yes, which this is the remake featuring Rick Moranis. So not the right. original black and white. Uh, I can't remember when that one came out. I want to say in the 50s. Uh, 1960, Roger Corman, who was a, <laughs> who was a well-known wacky uh, director in his day. Um, he made it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this is the remake featuring Rick and Moran. It's not the original one that uh, came out for this one. So, this is the one that featured all the, like, very elaborate puppetry and everything like that. The great mm-hmm. sets and everything like that. Like, this movie had a huge budget when it came to the effects and the practical effects and everything like that. It used it well. Oh, 100%. Uh, It's one of the few kind of movies with practical effects that uh, still stands up because it's played as if it's actually an onstage musical with those kind of prop effects and everything like that. Yeah. um, All right, man. Listen, uh, everything in this film kind of like as far as like production wise hits the nail on the head. You know, you got a great cast with Morena, Steve Martin, Bill Murray. Um, the special effects are very good. It looks like they, like for their time, they used, uh, Frank Oz, who was a great director. He used his money well with the special effects. Um, it's just, I, like I said, I'm I'm not a fan of musicals and this film kind of reinforced that. So you didn't get into any of the songs at all. There's none that you kind of listen to and go, okay, I could listen to that in my car. This, nah, not in my car, but the songs are catchy. Uh, they, I like listen. I like the music. It's just it just for the most part wasn't for me. There was some t- there were some points where I kind of chuckled, like you know Steve Martin's uh, dentist song. I, I chuckled a little bit, especially Bill Murray's cameo. Um, but I don't know what it was about this man. It just a lot of it just didn't didn't click with me. And um, the girlfriend, oh god, I don't I don't know if that's homegirl's real voice. Um, Ellen Green, but her voice was just so annoying to me. <laughs> I was like, I hope this is the first person the plant kills. I, I hope this is the first person the plant eats. 
Yeah. So to kind of go through a synopsis of the movie for anybody that isn't aware, um, I have the feeling that most people know the plot of this movie, even if you haven't seen it. But we are introduced to a character. I'm trying to remember his name. Rick Romanis' character? Seymour. Seymour. That's it. Uh, who finds a plant and he works at a garden store and everything like that. But uh, he finds a plant and he names it Audrey 2 after the girl that he likes who is Audrey. And Audrey is seeing somebody that is a dentist. Uh, I can't remember his name because it only comes up like two times in the whole movie. (laughs) His name is Oren. Oren. That's it. And so the entire film ends up going based off Audrey 2 being like an alien from another planet and just slowly grows and uh, eats blood and meat. Uh, So at first it starts just sucking blood from uh, Seymour's uh, finger, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then yeah. from there, he starts like asking Seymour, kill people and bring me, you know, the blood and everything like that. With right. the first person being the dentist. After one of the dentists has his great song. Uh, I, I love that song, the, the dentist song. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it gave me a chuckle. You know, Steve Martin's always good. Um, you know, it, it made me chuckle. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't. You know, the best song of the movie is obviously Feed Me Seymour. <laughs> that one, I absolutely love that song. I love the, like, puppetry that goes along with it. You know, everything that goes on during that scene with the vines and Seymour uh, carrying the axe and everything and trying to defend himself, the little mini plants that come out. It, the whole scene is just great. Uh, it, it's one of the few like musical scenes that uh kind of everything in the scene fits perfectly with what's being sung at the same time hmm. um yeah i i feel like the voice that that um that that was uh portrayed uh as audrey too was very um you know very very uh jazz singy and i thought it added well to the film yeah um we was just so goofy to me, man. Uh, well, that's like part this, of the point. Is it was supposed to be that comedy I, I musical horror? I, I, I listen. I, I can rock with over the top stuff. I really, I really can. Um, I just felt like this was maybe it's because it's based off a Roger Corman film. Because Roger Corman is over the top, but um, I don't know, man. I feel like th- this is either your bag or it ain't. And this one was not your bag for this. I, I, I listen, I, I want it. Listen, I, I, I gave myself to the film. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying, you know, I chuckled a few times. But most of the times I was kind of just kind of checking the watch on my phone being like, all right, how long is this? 90 minutes or what? <laughs> okay. I gave it a chance, man. I gave it a chance. Was this your first time watching this movie entirely or? Um. Yes, entirely. Uh, I do remember when I was really, really young, this being on HBO, but I, I never really watched it. I just remember seeing Rick Moranis and Steve Martin, but I never really remember what the film was about. So this is my first time watching the whole thing entirely. Okay. 
So, yeah, I've seen this movie a couple times. So when I was watching this again, I was just kind of going, yep, I remember this scene. I remember this scene. Uh, it's it's a very memorable movie. When you go back and watch it again, you'll be able to follow along with the plot. And even after a second viewing, you'll be able to tell everything that's going to happen. Because everything's kind of laid out very simply, if you actually mm-hmm. like think about it. Because it goes, you know, find plant, meet girl, uh, find out truth about plant, meet the boyfriend, kill the boyfriend, you know, plant gets even angrier, fight scene, climax. That That's basically the entire movie. Oh, you forgot uh, kill boyfriend, manager finds out, manager threatens, plant eats manager. Oh, then, yes. And then the rest of what you said. Yeah, and then the entire time the plant's promising like whatever uh, it, he wants to him, you know, whatever your wish is, I can make it happen. You just have to feed me. Feed me. Yeah, I, I, I thought the plant was entertaining. Uh, um, look, I like Rick Moranis. I feel like this is pre Honey I Shrunk the Kids. I don't know if I liked him as a lead in this movie. I I enjoyed just seeing him in a movie again. I. I I love Rick Mermanis. I want him to show up in something else. Uh, when they announced the new Ghostbusters movie and everything like that, I was hoping that he would show up in that, and then he kind of debunked that by saying that he's still retired and has no interest in doing anything. And I think the latest thing he actually did was he showed up in a commercial for uh, the... It was a commercial with Ryan Reynolds, wasn't it? And yeah. He it was... say, I don't even know why I'm here. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the commercial was for, but it, I think it was for the liquor that uh, Ryan Reynolds owns a uh, part of the company in. But yeah, that was his first time showing up like in the spotlight in years because what was his last movie that he did? Uh, I can look it up real quick. I I I don't remember, but because um... it was in the '90s, I know that much. Rick Moranis, uh, was it the Flintstones? No, it was just it was a Shrunk the Kids movie. It was a Shrunk the Kids movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it was a Brother Bear two. That's a cartoon. I don't count. Um, Honey, we shrunk ourselves. That was the last live action film he did. Okay, and that was back in. That was back in nineteen ninety seven. Okay. Yeah, because I know that he retired to spend more time with his family and everything like that, and then he just kind of stayed retired. He didn't want to come back. Yeah, I mean, like, he's a very charismatic lead. Um, Some actors, they just don't want to act anymore. They just, they they really just don't want to do it. Um, And, you know, more power to them. He looked at it as a job, which is what it should be. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, I want to see him act again, but at the same time, I don't, you know, go, damn it, how does he do this? You know, it's very understandable why he would want to retire and be able to spend time with his family. And since he was retired for so long or on his break for so long that he just kind of continued going along with it. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um... I mean, overall, man, it's a very it's a very well done film. It is. Um, <laughs> the Bill Murray scene really made me laugh. There's a guy that uh, 
uh, this masochist this this masochist that loves pain. <laughs> Steve Bar is like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that because he keeps showing up to the dentist's office, doesn't he? Uh, I think I only saw him once, but uh, if he showed up in an earlier scene, I didn't notice. Ah, uh, I want to say that there were multiple scenes with him, but there it might have been only the one time, and I'm just misremembering. Uh, cause I know that the reception would go, yeah, he's back again. <laughs> oh, I love when, when he, when Steve Martin first walks into the office and he just cold cocks his, uh, his receptionist, <laughs> like just walking in, he just like straight up just punches her. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then when he walks back out, he hits her with the door. She gets knocked out again. I just, I like, I listen, there, there's some great off, off the, um, uh, over the top moments in this film. It's just that the whole thing to me was over the top, and after a while, I just got a little impatient. That that's understandable. It's a very kind of in your face movie. Uh, it's not subtle about anything. It it is definitely throwing everything at you at the same time and kind of making it so insane that you know you had to laugh at it. You know, they they make the bad guy, the dentist, so much of a bad guy that there's no way you feel bad for him when he dies. You know, and that's the point. They want you to have, like, absolutely no remorse for him. Uh, Right, right. That's kind of like screenwriting 101, even with the whole manager thing. You know, like, oh, he's trying to... He's trying to exploit um, Seymour, so it's it's, it's good that he gets eaten. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, like, these people deserve it. Uh, you also see a lot of it from Seymour's perspective, where he has these people pegged as a villain as well. So, what do you think about John Candy's scene as the uh, the radio DJ? Uh, I'm trying to remember which. So uh, Rick Moranis brought the plant um, to the radio station. Uh, John, oh. John Candy was the radio DJ. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nothing really stuck out about that scene to me. That made me think okay. about that jim belushi was in it at one point too right wasn't he he had like a little cameo too uh that i do not remember it, it wasn't it, it wasn't a memorable scene um was he also, just one of the people that came to see the audrey too yeah yeah he was just one of those folks okay yeah i didn't notice him in that uh scene or if i did it wasn't memorable enough because yeah, I don't remember um, Belushi in the movie at all. And I uh, I had low-key forgot that uh, Tashina Arnold and Tisha Campbell, um, you know, um, stars of, you know, Martin Lawrence comedy uh, show Martin, uh, they started, they uh, had a started in this film as they were uh, two of the, um, the singers in the film. The Greek chorus. Oh! I didn't recognize them as anybody either. Yeah, yeah, I rec- I I recognized them instantly. Um, I've never seen the Steve Martin show though, so no Martin Lawrence Martin. You know the show Martin. The you never oh you never watched Martin Lawrence I, show Martin. I, I never watched the Martin Lawrence show. Oh wow, that was a big show in the nineties. Yeah, I I missed that one. I, I never saw that. Cultured. You got to get cultured, man. <laughs> you, you should you should at least watch one episode of Martin. Okay, I'll add it to my list. Is it on uh, Netflix or anything? Please tell me you've seen Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, of course I've seen P- Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay, all right. <laughs> I was about to say, you ain't seen Martin? 
Yeah. No, I haven't seen Martin. That's just one of the shows that never hit my radar. I don't know if it's on Hulu, but you could probably find some episodes on YouTube. I'll check it out. Um, yeah, overall, man, this is just, uh, I gotta get us a 2.5. Really? I mean, it's well made. It's well made. I just, it just didn't grab me. Oh, see, this one's definitely like a 3.54 for me. I, I, I find it hilarious. I love it. Uh, some of the songs I could easily listen to in my car, like Feed Me Seymour. I'll crack up whenever that pops up on like a Spotify playlist or something. So I, I can I can definitely give this a 3.5 to 4. It's I, I love it. <laughs> I, give, I give it a hat. T- I give it a, a hat tip for the way it's made. I, I, I appreciate the the hard work that went into making this. So, but uh, next on the list, uh, I really want to know what you thought of this one since you really don't like musicals. Dr. You know, Horrible's sing-along blog. You know, with this, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I'd, say I'm a, I'd say I'm a Whedon fan. I'm a Josh Whedon fan. Um, I feel like this had all the right marks to it, just like Little Shop of Horrors. You know, Neil Patrick Harris... Nathan Fillon, uh, Felicia, Felicia Day. Mm. It had everything right. I just was kind of wondering how it was going to like connect to me because it's a musical. But, um, dude, this was short and sweet, and uh, I really liked it, man. Yeah, it this one laugh. was originally written during the uh, writer's get. Yeah. So it's a very low-budget kind of Hollywood-style movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is separated into three acts. And it's the full-on musical. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is a great singer. So him as like one of the leads for the singing in this movie is great. Uh, Felicia Day is a good singer. Uh, even Nathan Fillion is uh, surprisingly a pretty good singer as well. Yeah. I feel like um, this was the kind of film where even if, even if you're not a good singer, you can still make it work. You know what I mean? Like... Um, I feel like the comedy carried the film. The music oh, 100%. was like a, was the, the music was like a bonus. You know, I feel like like uh, Neil Patrick Harris. You know, this being pre How I Met Your Mother. You know, his comedic timing, like his faces, he he's great for something like this. Like the moment the thing comes on, you know, <laughs> and I've been taking you know little voice acting lessons, trying to work on the oh. on my evil laugh. <laughs> right, yeah. I was instantly laughing. Like you know, he 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 hooked me in. Um, yeah, I like this, man. This was short and sweet and uh uh kind of had a surprisingly dark ending, which I even liked more. Yeah, that's one of the uh cool things about this one is it actually subverts like what you're expecting to happen throughout the entire movie cuz you're introduced to Dr. Horrible as a villain, but he's just kind of like starting off as a villain. He's not really right. a major villain yet. And he has a nemesis, uh Hammerman played by Nathan Fillion. And right. Hammerman is basically the perfect superhero. Like, he does no wrong. He can stop any crime. He's, you know... Mm-hmm. He, he stops Dr. Horrible multiple times uh, in the movie. And before the movie even uh, starts, we get, like, little flashback scenes of him constantly stopping Dr. Horrible and beating him up. And right. Doesn't he say in the, in the first blog, like, you know, he kind of kind of broke my ankle or something what do you say uh i think that was he with said, a fight said, with one of the other uh villains 
because oh, okay. there's a couple of the uh, other villains, like the Pink Pummeler and stuff like that. Uh, one of them, they're shown at the party at the end of the movie as well, but they're mentioned. Right, yeah, yeah, I got you, yeah. Uh, because then his uh, sidekick, Moist Man. Yeah, I, I know that guy is from Silicon Valley, but I don't know who he was. Like, he was, like, a roommate or something, wasn't he? Uh, he was, yeah, I think he's a roommate. But, uh, yeah, I, I every time that he shows up, it's just absolutely hilarious, you know. Right. Yeah. I need help, like, getting this crystal. Well, you know, if you need anything dampened, j- just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so, yeah, he's moist. That's really what he is. He, he's yeah. moist. <laughs> yeah, he, he basically just sweats a lot. That's his power. <laughs> So basically, we got um, Doctor Horrible here, who's an aspiring supervillain, wants to be part of the uh, supervillain uh, um, roundtable, I guess. And uh, the the superhero Captain Hammer is uh, his 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 enemy. Um, uh, a volunteer called Penny is his love interest, who's actually falling for Captain Hammer. You know, it, this film hits all the right beats as far as characters and motivations, but. I just love that it sticks to his guns in the end and actually shows him like transforming into a villain. Right. And not only that, but like the love interest subplot in the movie yeah. is actually written really well. Uh because you have Dr. Horrible, uh his actual name is Billy, uh mm-hmm. going through and he always sees this one same girl at the doing laundry. laundry. Yeah. And he, like, falls for her even though they've never talked or anything like that. So throughout the movie, his, like, plan is to get into the uh, league um, and end up, like, being seen as a real villain. And then, you know, she like him. And this is all in his head that, you know, he'll be able to get the girl once he does this. So right. instead of actually talking to her, he goes through these like crazy plots and everything like that. And the first one we see in the movie is him trying to steal. I can't remember what it's called that he's trying to steal, but it's just a canister of an element for a freeze ray. Right. Um, yeah, I remember he was trying to stop a car and then uh, at some point Captain uh, Hammer stops him. And here's my thing that I that I never understood about superhero films, like, and, and I get it. You gotta have a little bit of suspension of you know disbelief, but you telling me at one, you telling me at no point Lois Lane didn't recognize Clark Kent as Superman. Uh, well, to kind of take that example as a uh, thing, um, who was it? Henry Cavill, who played Superman in the recent kind of movies and everything, actually stood in the middle of New York City in full, like, Clark Kent attire in front of a poster for the Man of Steel movie as promotion, and nobody approached him over the course of six hours. Okay. I, I, I get where you're going from. I get where <laughs> you're going with that. But, um... If I was married to Wonder Woman, and to me she was just reg- she was just regular Diana Holden or whatever, if I see her as Wonder Woman, I'm gonna re- I'm, I'm gonna be like Diana, what are you doing? I'm gonna recognize my wife. Like, <laughs> right? But Lois knows that uh, Clark is Superman. That that's never been well, one knows, of those things. She she knows now. 
but once upon a time, and I'm I'm, I'm saying all this to make a point. Um, <laughs> Penny's character, when when Captain Hammer is like throwing Doctor Horrible on the car, you telling me she's not gonna notice that? Saying Billy, is that you? Well, at I that point, looked, they hadn't really talked yet. They, it was just like her going up to him for like a signature and going, "Hey, I think I recognize you from somewhere," you know. And then yeah. them going, "Oh, the laundromat." So yeah, I could see her not recognizing him right away. I just think it. it, it I just think that whole trope of um, with Spider Man, it makes sense because Spider Man is covered up. Batman, kind of, sort of. What, what, what other person has a lot of cool gadgets? Uh, who just hap, who just not happens to be the richest dude in Gotham City? I mean, if you don't know Batman's Bruce Wayne, you kind of, you kind of smoking something. But um, I, I don't know. I just never really understood that with, with Superman. I'm like, he's Clark Kent without glasses. Like, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, people see so many people. It doesn't always, like, add up and everything like that. I got you. I got you. So th- there's been kind of – there's actually been a lot of studies done on this kind of stuff because of the Superman Clark Kent kind of, uh, you know, how does nobody recognize that it's Superman? And people actually have done, like, studies and everything to find if people would recognize somebody else in a position, you know, they're not used to seeing them in. And – Pretty much almost across the board, they always go, yeah, we absolutely believe that Clark Kent could get away with just putting on glasses and nobody recognizing him as Superman. Uh, perception just goes, it comes down to perception. Yeah. But yeah, I, one of the things is like even going back to that one scene that you were mentioning where uh, Hammerman stops Dr. Horrible and then he kind of is beating him up right in front of penny uh i love how after he finishes beating him up and everything like that we get to have like dr horrible sing along with their like we just met and you know maybe this is fate song and he's just like did you forget that he just pushed you into the trash what is going on here don't look at him that way don't look at her that way (laughs) all right balls yeah balls (laughs) yeah i just love you know the commentary of the songs as well and everything like that it's great uh i still think one of the best dialogue uh moments in this movie that i've actually quoted with people back when this originally came out it was like the big quote from it was the scene when they're in the laundromat and Hammerman comes in and he goes hey i think i recognize you from somewhere you know the gym oh wait i don't I don't go to the gym. I don't go to the gym. <laughs> uh, but later in that conversation, when he reveals that he does recognize Dr. Horrible, and he's like, I'm going to give her the hammer, and I'm not talking about my arms. And he walks <laughs> away, and he comes back, in case it wasn't clear, uh, the hammer is my penis. And <laughs> I love that scene so much. And that is like the biggest quotable moment from when this originally came out is, and in case you didn't know, the hammer is my penis. <laughs> and I my, still love that line. One of my favorite lines is, uh, is this is this what pain feels like? Oh, God, mommy! Yeah. He just runs out. <laughs> yeah, th- 
it, this movie has so many great like laugh moments and everything. It's all packed into like an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, and short sleep. Yeah. And it even has one of like those. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is, but it's a victory that kind of feels like defeat, because in order to get into the league, he is instructed he has to kill someone. So he plans to kill Hammerman, but in the ending scene, he ends up uh, killing Penny by accident, who is the person right. that he was trying to get into the league to impress. So him missing out on that and then getting into the league as a result because he did kill somebody. So mm-hmm. it, it's one of those, like I, I'm trying to, there, I know there's a word for it for those kind of scenarios. They gave, him the act, they gave him the actual word for what he had to do. Uh, no, he, a, uh, a, they, a they told him victory? that he just had to kill somebody. A Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic, that yep, that's what it is. Yeah, where the victory feels more like a defeat than an actual victory due to the circumstances. Which is smart because that is kind of like one of the best uh, things in a supervillain's origin story. There's always a Pyrrhic victory that 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 um, that serves as the watershed moment for when a person turns evil. Yep. Like, I would compare this film to like a way more brutal movie but it, it kind of serves as the same theme um brightburn where you see the birth of a supervillain in that film you ever saw brightburn yeah i i remember seeing that one uh it was actually i i was surprised by that one because i actually liked brightburn and i know yeah. that a lot of critics were kind of panning it a little bit and then fans were kind of mixed on it but i like I, brightburn i like brightburn because it stuck the landing like this was really the this was really the birth of a villain right yeah there was a lot that the movie did right and then there was the parents and (laughs) they were completely done wrong in that movie i feel like the parents like i i could defend the parents because they were willingly naive they wanted this they wanted they wanted their family to work and i don't want to digress from dr horror but what i'm saying is i i feel like that worked I for Brightburn, I don't think it really worked because you really had to make some logical leaps of going, you know, our son just killed a police officer and he tore up half the house, but it is 8.30 p.m. We should really get to bed right now. <laughs> you know, like, they didn't want to deal uh, with any problems at all and they just wanted to pretend everything was fine. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. You know, it, it doesn't make logical sense that anybody would actually be in that kind of, like, blissful ignorance, I guess. I got you. I, I, I understand where you're going with this. Um, Yeah, man, uh, straight up 4.5 for me. I really enjoyed this. Oh, this one is one of those rare fives from me. You know, I can watch this movie over and over again and still enjoy it. Uh. I actually have a couple of the songs on my like normal Spotify playlist. Yeah, see, again, this is one of those rare musicals where I I I like the music, I like the songs, man. Um, a man's got to do everything you ever like. These these are uh, yeah. some good songs. A uh, brand new day is like one of the songs that I actually know all the lyrics to and everything like that as well. Uh, Freeze Ray is really good. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually a really good musical. 
And the fact that it was written as kind of a, you know, trying to meet all the demands of the writer's strike uh, Mm -hmm. by just Joss Whedon and his brother. And they, they nailed it. They got everything right. And this movie came out back in 2009, I want to say, because it came out after the writer's strike ended. Eight. It was it eight. 2008 okay so it came out 2008 and it just ever since then people have been asking for a sequel and at one point it looks like we were going to get a sequel and then all of a sudden uh joss whedon started directing uh a bunch of you know superhero movies the avengers uh, he, he got in the superhero world for real yeah. At that point, he he wasn't playing around anymore. Um, this don't need a sequel. It's good for the way it was. Like yeah. it, it was it was it was a great moment in time where you created something original and kind of thing you should leave it at the, at, at that. Right. It, it, the one thing that I just want a sequel from is because it, it is only about an hour and 20 minute movie. I want a like full hour 45 to 2 hour movie with this kind of concept. I would love it. Even if we got like a spiritual successor, so it doesn't actually feature Doctor Horrible, Hammerman, Penny, and everything like that. Obviously, mm-hmm. a sequel wouldn't have Penny unless they did some weird like voodoo <laughs> kind of synopsis plot to it. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I would love to see something with the same kind of like feeling done for like a like superhero musical like this or a superhero comedy musical. Yeah, I, I'd be down for it. Um... I'd be down to watch it if it was made. Yeah, because this one, it is very special movie. It's one where everything just fit right. We have, you know, Nathan Fillion, who is just a very over-the-top kind of actor in this one, uh, on purpose, as Hammerman is a very, like, over-the-top superhero, and he just fits the role perfectly. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. We have Neil Patrick Harris, who is great with those kind of like miming kind of uh, voices and those, I guess, the facial expressions that he has and everything like that. He's just perfect for that kind of role. And I love the idea that he's just a villain with a blog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think that's a great uh I think the blog thing is great, how it starts off every uh, episode and then how it, the final shot is with the blog as he's uh, finishing singing the song. Yes. And I just love, I don't know what's so funny about it to me, but I just love the second to last shot of him going into the evil lair and there's actually like a bad horse. Oh yeah, <laughs> bad horse is actually a horse. <laughs> Everybody just kind of stares at him in slow motion as he walks in. I think that's just so funny. Yep. Yeah, as he puts on his new, like, superhero uh, outfit and everything like that. I love that Moist Man is at the party as well. Right. <laughs> you need anything different, I'll, I'll definitely for you. He's grabbing the bags of money as they're robbing. Oh, that's right. And he's, like, dropping them and everything, isn't he? Right. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of great moments in this movie. I love it. It's It's a five for me. It's an easy five. Uh, no matter how often I've seen this movie, I can always get a laugh out of it. I listen to the songs every once in a while. It's it holds up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I really did appreciate this one more than the Little Shop, and um, you know, uh, I appreciate the way Little Shop was made, but this one actually did. Uh, I, I like this one. 
Yeah, I want to um, say this one was on like almost the minimum budget for a Hollywood movie. Like I, it was just yeah. barely over a hundred million, wasn't it? Oh, as far as money to make it, yeah. Uh, at at just over two hundred thousand. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. I meant one hundred thousand, not million. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, because. I was like, this don't, this don't look like this cost a million, bro. Yeah, no, uh, no, I meant a hundred thousand, but yeah, two hundred thousand. That's a low budget for a movie, especially of this caliber, with some of like the sets and everything that they created, and it, it's, it definitely shows that they put a lot of hard work into it. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, folks. Well, that has been the. Oh no. Oh wait a minute. We we got got one more, don't we? Yeah, uh, we we do have a bonus that we watched uh this a bonus week. round. Where's the where's the music? <laughs> I I think that music would, you know, substitute a happy movie that we watched. <laughs> right, 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 right. A happy movie. Um I was trying to get uh what's the Rest in peace to Alex Trebek. Oh, this one's yeah. for you, pal. Um, so with a bonus round, uh, we had watched, um, Oliver Stone's film, uh, W. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, a movie George. that neither of us had seen before. No, I seen it before. I oh, just had, didn't, okay. Yeah. I just never, re- I didn't remember it much cause I remember my mother rented it when it first came out in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. so this revolves around, uh, the, uh, the life of George W. Bush. And I feel like it's a. It's a timely moment to talk about this now, now that we're um, close to inaugurating our 46th president. Uh, it's it's kind of good to reflect on, um, you know, one of the most memorable and controversial presidents of our past. Yes. So, uh, yeah, George, uh, Oliver Stone's W. Um, so this is your first time seeing this. What did you think? So... Yeah, I've actually owned this movie because it was one of the movies that I got when Blockbuster closed out and I just bought a bunch of Blu-rays and, you know, mm-hmm. hightailed it out of there. And it's one that I just never watched up until now. And I can say I I don't feel like I missed anything <laughs> by not watching it up until now. You it, know, I gotta I gotta agree. Yeah, it's just a very... I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, but it's, it's very bad. boring. Uh, it, it doesn't really have a good structure with how it ke- lays out the scenes. Like, there's no high point to it that you're kind of going, oh, I can't wait until we get to this moment. Uh, it's just kind of going back and forth between his presidency and how he got to that point. But not really how he got to that point, more of just like what he did in his life prior to the presidency to make him come off as more of a normal person. Like you get an idea that he wasn't made out to be a politician. He was basically a normal person that ended up being a politician more so because his dad was a politician. Yeah, I know he wanted to impress his father. I that's kind of the narrative the film tries to push that he wants to, you know, just impress his daddy. Um, with this movie, man, I don't think it's, I don't necessarily think it's boring. I, I just think it kind of, it's neither boring nor exciting. It kind of is what it is. Um, it, you know, in its own way kind of shows you the things that happen. And I kind of was anticipating like, oh man, I can't wait till they get to the, uh, Iraq war. And when it got there, it was kind of like, you know, they gave 
uh, Colin Powell's character voiced, I mean, played by Jeffrey Wright. Um, they kind of gave him like a little monologue or whatever, trying to be the voice of reason in the war room. Um, but other than that, I, I feel like the film is what it is. Uh, it, it points, a, it paints a portrait of a man that kind of grew up a fuck up, you know, it's kind of a screw up. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really expected to do much, but when he did do much, he kind of was given a, um, it's kind of like how the ending shows. He kind of was given a, a, a ball that he was supposed to catch, but it just kind of landed in the outfield and he failed. You know, George is a W is a charismatic guy. I'm sure he's a fun guy to hang with, but kind of point that the film drives is that he's not he wasn't really built for president. Like the whole time, Jeb Jeb Bush keeps getting mentioned. Like it was yeah. meant for Jeb. Jeb was supposed to be the, the he candidate. was the smart one. He was the one that got all the good grades in school. Yeah, right, right. Um, and you know, the kind of ironic joke is that yeah, yeah, Jeb probably would have been the better one. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But I do love how uh, opposite of like we've watched the movie Vice in the past where it's basically a focus on Dick Cheney and everything that he did during the presidency. So we do get a couple scenes in this one where we see George being more, you know, strict with uh, Cheney, Uh, like the scenes in the war room and everything like that. even when they're just talking in scenes where it's just the two of them, it seems like yeah. George Bush is pulling more of the strings of uh, everything that's going on and trying to like keep Cheney in check because Cheney's trying to like overtake him. So it's kind of nice to kind of see this. No, no, it did it not didn't work in the end. But um, even like as a callback to Adam McKay's Vice, um, you know, um, I did like that they tried to show some scenes with him trying to keep Dick in check. Like, uh, hey, Dick, you know, just remember, you know, just kind of tone it down a bit. I, I thought that I was. Well, you know, come on, you heard me. Just t- t- tone it down a bit. I can't speak like Bush. Mm. Uh, but, you know, just kind of tone it down a bit. Um, I like that they tried to show that. Um, and I'm sure that everything that kind of happened in his presidency was kind of something that kind of got away from Bush. Um, like, I, I, Josh Brolin gave a great performance. I feel like he's great in the role. Right. Yeah, he was yeah. not bad in this movie at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think there good. was any actor that really was bad, but I can say that none of them really stuck out to me. Uh, like, I'm not going to say that this is like one of Josh Brolin's top roles. I'd argue I'd argue that it is. Really? Um, yeah, not one of his best movies, but I feel like one of his best roles. I feel like he plays a good Bush. I feel like he's... I feel like he was a little better at Bush than Sam Rockwell was in Vice. And I like Sam Rockwell. I like Josh Brolin, too. I like both of them. But I feel like, obviously, Christian Bale was a better Dick Cheney than Richard Dreyfus, but Richard Travis mm. wasn't a bad Dick Cheney either. Right. You know, um, I don't like how they, I don't like how the kind of makeup they gave Thandie Newton for Condoleezza Rice. I feel like they just, I feel like they overdid uh, uh, Condoleezza in this film. Um... Rumsfeld, Scott Glenn is Rumsfeld. He was you know, he was cool. Jeffrey Wright was pretty solid as Colin Powell. Um, I mean, other than that, there's not many people like James Cromwell as uh, uh, George H. W. You know, he he doesn't really he stands out as the disapproving father. You know, Ellen Burstein mm-hmm. as Barbara Bush just has a few scenes. Elizabeth Banks as Laura Bush just has a few 
few uh, scenes. Um, but, I mean, the only person that really stands out to me and stands out well is Josh Brolin, as it kind of should be because he's the star of the movie. Right. Yeah, everything is kind of revolving around him. There's not really any scenes that don't involve him. He's always the center of the movie. Uh, everything coming from his perspective in some sort of way. We don't get like a cutaway of like Dick Cheney talking about Bush behind his back or anything like that. It's always Bush front and center. Yeah, I feel like um, the movie is sympathetic towards him as he is just trying to impress his dad. I feel like they lean a little bit too much on that. Yeah, they I definitely don't. try and make it like, oh, you should feel bad for him. Like, look at his life prior to the presidency. You know, he might have fucked yeah. up during the presidency, but, you know, look at everything that led up to that. You can't blame all the decisions you make as an adult on your on 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 on, on trying to win your father's love. Some people you can, but I don't think failing at the presidency is a direct reflection of daddy didn't love me. I feel like that's a long stretch. Right. Yeah, There, this movie, I mean, I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to make yeah. it more sympathetic because at the time, uh, Bush was very, uh, I guess, it, his numbers were going down even on the Republican Party side and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people were ending the presidency going, oh, man, he just completely destroyed, you know, everything. You know, there's nothing that we can do to fix this and everything like that. And they were trying to, like, kind of boost, like, perception of him a little bit. Like, you can tell that that was the very, like, obvious goal of this movie. Yeah, I... um. Well, I don't think the film is in favor of Bush or um, against Bush. I feel like it's trying to paint a narrative that says, yeah, he was a bad president, but I mean, look where he came from. Not make, you know, not not trying to it's making an excuse for him, but it's not it's not a movie that's pro Bush or anti Bush, in my opinion. Like you you could tell uh, Vice was like anti Dick Cheney. You know what I mean? It wasn't pro Dick Cheney. Um, I don't feel like this film is neither pro or anti. It just kind of is like it doesn't. I don't think it's clear on where it stands. It's like, OK, you want to make excuses for this guy, but you're showing where he where he did wrong. But you're not fully giving him you're giving him responsibility for what he did wrong. But you're at the end of the day leaning on his daddy didn't love me thing. Like, I feel like the film isn't sure what it's trying to say. It's trying to be careful and Oliver Stone's not a careful director. He kind of makes mm-hmm. his decision. He kind of makes his opinions clear on his in his um, in his other films. But I feel like with this one, he's like, eh, he's a kid that didn't get his dad's love, and kind of is what it is. Yeah, I I feel like it's more trying to be like pro Bush. Uh, that's the perception I got at least. You know, like they don't go over you know his mistakes and go, yeah, but you know, look at this instead. They do give his mistakes and they show them in right. the movie and they show it from his perspective and others' perspective. But at the same time, it seems very more pro. You know, look at this person's life than it is like, oh, this was a bad guy. I think it's pro. It, I think it's it's pro Bush the man, not pro Bush the president. I can agree with that. It's definitely pro. Look at this guy. He's he's a good guy. You know, yeah. trust me, he's a great guy. 
Uh, he makes mistakes, but he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it overall though, I I just found the movie boring. It didn't really get my attention. Like there were it a didn't couple leave scenes. A mark on me. Right. It didn't leave a mark on me. Um, like I watched I, this movie about a week and a half ago, and half of this movie I've already forgotten. You know, like I remember some scenes, and that's about it. The the way I look at it, it's um, you know, part of the thing that hooked me into Vice was its trailer. When I saw the trailer, when I saw the trailer for this, when they were playing Talking Heads, uh, Once in a Lifetime. I was hooked into this movie. I said, you know what? I need to revisit this. I need to see if this is going to be good. And, you know, I watched it and I was like, well, thank God for marketing. Because if they showed this film the way it really was, I probably wouldn't have wanted to to see it. Right. Yeah, the marketing for this movie is the only reason that it had any success at all, I think. Uh, If it was actually marketed the way that the movie truly is, it would not have, you know, gotten pretty much any box office numbers at all probably this film could have worked with the right kind of energy i feel like the premise here is not bad you know um we run into like the the antebellum uh um issue antebellum had a good premise you know making a film about george w bush is not a bad idea it's just the way you go about it if you're trying to be like all right we're gonna show this guy he messed up but he's a good guy I mean, yeah, that's cool, but you kind of gotta you kind of gotta be more fearless with your portrayal. Yeah, it, it, they definitely played it very safe with this one, and I think that's part of where it gets boring to me. Is you know, we get to see him. Oh, here he is working on a ranch. Oh, here he is proposing to his second girlfriend, and it's just like there's nothing exciting happening. All the dialogue is just boring. You know, there's really nothing happening. It's just a bunch of dialogue right. in it, different rooms with different people. Yeah. Um, it, nothing really happens. None of the dialogue seems to mean anything. Uh, and if the dialogue does mean something, it pretty much boils down to, Daddy didn't love me. Uh, I feel like <laughs> the only scene that was kind of grabbing at something was the war room scene. When they were all in, they were discussing um, going to war. I feel like that scene was grabbing at something, but something was just missing where I just wasn't invested. See, that one was one scene that I was trying to be invested in. I just kept going, okay, this is... I could It couldn't connect to me because I don't know if it was going too long. I don't know if they were making... I think it was going a little bit too long. A little too preachy. Yeah, like they were making Colin a little too preachy and, and, you know, they were trying to, you know, push Dick as the whole devil on the shoulder like, no, we have to do this. And that's fine, but keep it down to, like, five minutes. You know, it kind of went a little too long. Yeah, I think that's the major problem with that scene is it just went on too long. And it just kind of, if it was a little bit shorter and they still got everything into it that they got in that that scene, because it was just drawn out too long. Yeah, uh, you want to hear something funny. Um, Apparently, originally, uh, Christian Bale was going to play Bush, but... He, the prosthetic, but the the prosthetic makeup they were going to put on him to portray Bush, he didn't really agree with it, so he dropped out. Uh, which is funny because he played Dick Cheney years later. Uh, I would have been, it would have been interesting to see a, a Christian Bale Bush. I don't know, you know. 
Every time I hear that Christian Bale's playing a role, I always go, that doesn't sound like a role for him. And then he knocks it out of the park. So at yeah. this point, yeah, I, I want to see him play George W. Bush. I want to see him play any role. I want to see him play little Susie, you know, the lemonade stand girl at this point, because I know that he'd somehow knock it out of the park because <laughs> every role that sounds like he shouldn't have anything to do with, he just completely grabs and he turns it into like his best performance yet. He really is a chameleon. Um, he's a chameleon actor. There's very few chameleon actors that just that just nail roles that they that you wouldn't see them in, but they just nail it. Um, it's him. Woody Adam Harrelson. Drive. Woody. Every time I see him in a movie, I go, "Why is he in this?" And then I end with going, "I'm glad he was in this." Okay. Yeah, Woody is great, but okay. Yeah, okay. It's him, Woody Harrelson, Lakeith Stanfield, um, Jake Gyllenhaal. And Adam Driver. Yep. They're and all chameleons. Even to a point, I would probably add... Uh, actually, no. I think that's pretty much the good list right there. Yeah. Um, two out of five, man. Uh, yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. It's, it's below average. It's... Yeah. Two out of five is a very generous score for this movie i think i uh i think um this is like the third film in like oliver stone's presidential trilogy because i feel like the first film was jfk which surrounded around the investigation of jfk's assassination uh from what i remember it was a solid film kevin costner was in it um second film was nixon which had anthony hopkins as nixon i remember scenes from that movie i don't remember that movie as a whole so you know, this isn't Oliver Stone's first foray with dealing with the controversial president or a controversial event dealing with the president. Um, but I don't think it's one of his best films either. Yeah, it, it, yeah, two out of five. Yeah, but I I can agree with that. Uh, yeah, there's really not much more to say about that movie. It's just it is there, and that's about it. <laughs> it exists. I do. I will say I think this is one of Brolin's finest roles. I feel like he he nails the Bush role very very finely. It's just not a good movie to back up the performance. Uh see I think the whole movie brings it down to me cuz I don't see this as one of his best roles. So, you know, I I wouldn't put it up there on this movie. When it's given to you when it's given to you in spades like this but with boring material, I see how you would say that. But I would I would implore you to watch the trailer and to see how he's shown his bush through rapid fire editing. And you go like, man, maybe he really did sink into that role. It's just the film didn't present it well. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that he was a bad actor in this one at all, but I right. do not see it as like one of his pinnacle roles that I'm going to remember him for. I got you. I got, it's not it's not Thanos. All right. I'm not saying he did Thanos yeah. work in this film, but, you know, I got you. But uh, with that, I think that wraps up this episode. All right. Uh, before we leave, uh, you've seen any films lately? Uh, not really for films. Uh, I know the new Animaniacs started up, so I watched two episodes of that from Hulu because I grew up with Animaniacs back in the '90s and everything like that. So I when, very nostalgic. Very nostalgic. Okay. Yeah. I uh, I I like I like Animaniacs. They always made me smile. <laughs> I love the old uh, the old prince joke where they said we need fingerprints. Oh yeah. And then uh, then he has the, the, he has the singer prince in his lap and he looks at prince and says, 
I don't think so. Yeah, no. <laughs> <It> just throws me. <laughs> no, not fingerprints. Fingerprints. <laughs> I don't <Right>. think so. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's so many great subtle jokes in that that uh, kids would not get, but adults rewatching it and everything now would absolutely crack up at. It, it still stands up today, even for like the original series. So. The fact that it got a reboot now and everything like that, and so far I'm enjoying the reboot. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Hey, um, I wanted to tell you, uh, I I actually saw a few movies since we last talked, dude. I saw this movie uh from the late '80s called Miracle Mile. Um, it's a thriller, and it has Anthony Edwards from ER, and um, this guy, you know, he 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 meets the girl of his dreams, and he um. He oversleeps because they were supposed to meet for a date, and uh, he um, he runs to this diner ch- ch- where she works, trying to see if she's still still there or whatever. Anyway, he gets he tries to call her on the phone booth, and he gets a call. You know, back in the days where people would just call phone booths, and he mm-hmm. uh, he gets a call from someone saying, "It's true, Dad. It, it's real. The, 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 the nuclear war is happening." And he says, "Hello, who is this?" He says, uh, "Forget everything you just heard." Then there's like a gunshot, and then um, this whole film is about him trying to ask people or being convinced that nuclear war is about to happen. And uh, you really don't know until the final scene if if it was a hoax or if it was for real. Uh, and it's just, it, dude, I I could tell this. It made it, it took balls to make this film in the late '80s, man, because it's such a it's such a movie that you wouldn't expect to come out in the '80s because of just like like how ballsy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of like, it, it really holds his cards close to his chest, but it shows exactly what would happen if if America was on the verge of being being nuked. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to check that one out because that actually sounds Mir- like an interesting. It's a very interesting movie. It's called Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile. Yeah. Um. Also saw this film from the '60s. Um. You know, I I had always been uh, it, it, I took I took a few film studies classes in college, and I had always been. Uh, John Luke Goddard is a very interesting director, and he's a very inspirational director to a lot of directors that's out today. Um, I never saw his first film, Breathless, but uh, I saw that for the first time, and I was uh, I was I was surprised, man. It uh, it kept me intrigued the whole time. It's very very freeform, jazzy. Um, kind of makes its own rules especially for a film that came out in the 60s and uh yeah i I was surprised by it man i actually kind of liked it um oh dude there was a criterion collection sale and uh for all for all our fans out there that listen you know that when a criterion collection half off sale comes your uh your pockets are gonna take a hit oh yeah and my my pockets took which ones did you get uh, I got the Bruce Lee collection. I got Parasite. Uh, I got Bamboozled. That's a Spike Lee movie. Wait, Parasite's Dave. already in the Criterion collection? Yeah, that's what I was surprised by. Like, it's out on regular Blu-ray too, but yeah. Criterion collection um released Parasite, and they have a black and white version of the film. Oh, hmm. Yeah, I got Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Age of Innocence, David Lynch, The, the Elephant Man. 
Jim Jarmusch, Ghost Dog. I love Ghost Dog so much. We got to watch that movie sometime. I am 100% down for rewatching Ghost Dog. I have not seen, I haven't even heard that movie in so long. Yeah, man. I, I, I'm excited to watch Criterion's re- restoration of it. Um, and I got the complete films of Agnes Varda. Agnes Varda, she's this French film director. I watched a few of her films in college. She's she's pretty good. So, uh, yeah, my pockets took a hit, man. But I told my wife this is my early Christmas gift to myself. So Worth it. it, it worth <laughs> 100% it. worth it. And a day worth it. Yeah. Were those the Blu-rays or... Oh, of course, man. I don't I don't do anything less. Okay. Blu-rays. Well, I know only that they I'm... also have like the DVD collections for some of those as well. They do. The only time I get a DVD is when it's something to me that doesn't really need to be on Blu-ray. Like if it's a if it's a, a film like like Godard's Breathless, I don't really see myself getting that on Blu-ray, but I can get it on DVD. But when it's something that's colorful, like oh, or something that's just like straight when it's something like Parasite, I'm getting that on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, there's no question. Yeah, like, uh, dude, I love Criterion Collection, man. Like, you know, they 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 put so much work into the in into their restoration of films that uh, if you're a film lover, you you gotta have at least one Criterion Blu-ray in your collection. Yeah, I have plenty of them, and they're I absolutely hate whenever they go on sale because every time it's like, oh well, I can get this one and this one, and next thing you know, you're spending like hundred and fifty dollars, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll get the credit card, I guess. <laughs> it hates when I hate when they go on sale, and it's like, dude, I got paid a week ago. You guys could have pushed this back a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> they come at the worst. No matter who you are, they come at the worst times. They're like, man, really? Yeah. It, so, yeah, we definitely had to do Ghost Dog at some time, though. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, folks. Well, thank you for hanging around. Uh, this has been another episode of Double Feature plus a bonus round. Oh, one more thing. I keep stopping. Uh, I think we should do a thing called Nicolas Cage News every time he has a new movie coming out. So, folks. Oh, because of it, jujitsu? <laughs> yes. So, we have uh, trained ninjas protecting the world from aliens and guess who's our leading man nick cage yeah i want to say that i brought this one up to you before at some point in time you did jujitsu yeah it's new ain't it yeah it just came out yeah it was announced back in like uh may i want to say i might check that out man I, i feel like i feel like i might check that film out man um you can't go wrong with nick cage But all right, folks, other than that, it's been real. 